to Four Questions. I'm here with my great friend Sanchari Roy, Senior Lecturer in Economics. And we're going to discuss women's inheritance rights reform and the preference for sons in India. So, as you'll know, 45 million girls are missing in India. Some of them were never born, others were killed by neglect, killed by their parents. This isn't mad or evil, but economically rational. Given widespread gender inequalities in society, adult men will go on to earn more, receive dowries and provide for their parents in old age. So, how can we solve this? So, Sanchari, you explore the impact of legalizing female inheritance rights on son preference. So, the idea is that if the only girls are potential landowners, they may be perceived as more valuable, and that might undermine some preference, right? Yes, exactly. And the uh, so, generally speaking, property rights are associated with you know greater investment, greater productivity, uh, greater access to various kinds of markets, including land and credit markets. So, the idea is that if women have property uh, rights. Uh, um, equal to men, then this could act as a powerful instrument for their economic environment, in turn, which may lead to sort of broader em em empowerment across various dimensions. Yeah, absolutely. And Bina Agarwal has a really great study on suggesting exactly. that property rights protect women from violence. Okay, exactly. so there's a strong correlation thinking, yeah, property rights are good for women, mm -hmm. so, so let's legalize uh, women's property rights. So how do you invest in this? How, so what, what I find tricky to understand is how do we link changes in the law and changes in some preference? How do we know what's Going on. Yes, so for, for first of all, for, let me tell you what we sort of do and then we'll talk about how we measure mm. sun preference in our context. So uh, our study is based on India, where historically women uh, did not enjoy uh, legal rights to inherit any mm. ancestral property, uh, typically think about land from their parents. Mm. Now between the uh, late 1970s and early 1990s, some states reformed this, uh, this law and made um, uh, inheritance rights equal for men and women. Um, which, which states were the forerunners then? These were uh, the four southern states and Maharashtra. Okay, sure. okay. And that's um, what you'd expect, right? Yes, which is a bit tricky for you know our estimation methodology, but I'll talk about yeah. that in a second. Um, so what we study is uh, the impact of these state-wise legal changes mm. in the reforms on sun preference. And mm. the way we measure sun preference is by looking at the incidence of female feticide. Mm -hmm. So what that means is we want to test whether um, having the reform now changes the probability of a an additional birth being a girl, right? Okay, okay so that's basically the way to measure mm. uh, some preference in our context. We also look at a couple of other measures, and I'll talk mm. about those mm. later. Um, so one of the sort of concerns that we were raising earlier, a little bit uh, earlier, is that the states that did reform do have a reputation of being more gender progressive mm. to mm. start with. So then, yeah, because then you get a question of yes. which way is causation? Exactly. Is it the more egalitarian states enact the law, exactly. yeah. and therefore it's no surprise that you know. Uh, yeah, of course. You know, uh, sort of outcomes would be different there. So this reverse causation does cause problems in terms of identifying mm. the effect of the reform. So we try to get around this problem by sort of looking at two things mm. or sort of exploiting two facts. The first is that um, the sex of the firstborn child can be considered to be nearly random. It's like a random draw from nature. So you decide to have a baby with almost equal probability you can either have a boy or a girl. But right? can you have a sex-selective abortion? You can technically have yeah. sex-selective abortion, but in the data it doesn't seem to suggest that the sex ratio at birth for the firstborn child is any different from the natural one. Oh, uh, right. So, okay. so in, in India, and this is, it's actually using the same data that we uh, we use in this paper. So what, most of the missing girls is coming either with second birth, exactly. second birth or during or, or, child or malnutrition. Beyond. Yeah, exactly, okay, okay. or beyond. Exactly. So it's either feticide or an issue of sex. Exactly. 
exactly, okay, exactly. So that's because this fact. I don't mean fetuside. I mean infanticide. Infanticide. Infanticide or second yes. birth. Yes. Um, but the, so, so the point is that the fact that the first birth, uh, sex of the firstborn child, can be treated as sort of quasi-random mm. is useful for us because, in some sense, then you can look at these two groups of families. Uh, one group where the firstborn girl was firstborn uh, child just happens to be a girl and the other group where the firstborn child just happens to be a boy mm. in the data they don't look any different in terms of observable characteristics but the sex of the firstborn child then has an impact on parents incentive to have further children yeah, for sure. the girls yeah, right yeah, sure. so the idea is that well if you lucked out and had a boy the first time round then you might be more tolerant to subsequent daughters yeah, alternatively in a son preference society like india if you had a firstborn girl then subsequently you would be more desperate not to have more girls right okay. so the point is that the effect of the reform will be different from the, for these two groups mm. of uh, families and this also allows us to avoid this cross-state comparison that can be tricky so now what we are doing is we're not we're not comparing families in uh, Kerala which was a state that mm. passed the reform to let's say families in Haryana where they didn't but we're actually now comparing within Kerala families that just happen to have a firstborn girl versus uh, families that just happen to have a firstborn boy, making the case that the incentives to sex select mm. will now be different across these families. Right, okay. And we now want to see whether the reform had any impact on this marginal propensity. Right, okay. Right? Mm. But there's another thing that needs to be brought in this context is that... So the question yeah. is, when you're in a, a state, so in a state with an egalitarian inheritance law, yeah. are you then more likely to kill your second child? Second yeah, child, yeah. If, if you know, if, mm. if, you, uh, if it's a girl. But the key, uh, but the other key thing here to remember would be that you need to know ex ante so prenatally mm. you need to know that the fetus is a girl mm -hmm. if you want to mm. uh, sort of you know sex selectively abort and that is possible if uh, the technology the ultrasound technology yeah. to do prenatal sex determination is available mm. so in some sense the reform starts to have a real bite in terms of parents manipulating the sex ratios mm. in the child sex ratios in their families only when ultrasound is available yeah right? so in urban areas in, maybe, yeah. well in urban areas or sort of you know um what we do actually is we sort of exploit the timing of availability of ultrasound uh, in India right, because okay. it was correlated with uh liberalization in the okay. economy okay so in, in, so in an upshot, what we are trying to essentially look at is we are looking, we are comparing families with firstborn girls in states that passed the reform after ultrasound is available right. to families with firstborn boys mm. under these mm. circumstances and looking at whether the um, probability of having a second birth being a girl is different. Okay, I'm with you. I'm with, yes, I'm with you. Okay. Okay. So then what do you find? So we find um, on that specific dimension mm. of uh, sort of female feticide, we find that um, fewer girls seems to be seem to be born in uh, these families. So this, it suggests that after the reform, parents become more averse to having further girls if they've already had a girl to begin with. Oh, but okay. so the reform didn't work. It seems to have sort of, you know, um, 
created certain perverse incentives uh, as far as sort of you know uh, this particular. So wait, let me get this concerned. right. When parents think that their daughters <clears throat> might inherit their property, yes. they're more likely to not have them or to kill uh, or yes, to exactly. neglect to them. Exactly. And just before we go uh, on yeah. to uh, sort of you know the other findings, I think. One potential explanation we propose in this mm. paper is that, um, for this sort of mm. puzzling uh, result, is that the reform um, seems to be increasing the cost of having a daughter at the margin, because it is uh, it is um, uh, sort of you know taking place in a social context where social norms dictate that the the uh, daughter will marry and go and live with the mm. with her husband's family so you know patrilocal social mm. norms mm. under those circumstances if the girl were to inherit a mm. share of her parents mm. property like her ancestral property but she would still marry and go away parents run the risk of losing that share of property to the in-laws of their daughters mm. and basically then that goes out of their control. But the crazy thing is that this would all happen when they're dead. So it's yes. not like they'd be losing resources but it's their son, their lineage that would be losing. Exactly. And it seems so it's so difficult to understand this idea that parents might be so threatened by the idea of their, their son, their rightful heir losing resources that they would want to kill or, or neglect their daughter. I mean, that's like the after their death. Yes. The but but also remember that this is not necessarily only to do with you know incentives of parents when mm. they are alive or yeah. not. But this this whole um, uh, sort of uh, phenomenon occurs in a general uh, context of overt son preference. Mm. So of course there is a strong um, uh, sort of you know uh, social contract that uh, parents and sons have in the sense that well the son grows up provides all security to parents you know and so on and so forth so therefore you want to uh, sort of make it worth the while for the son to bear all those costs by giving them property oh, I see. Uh, right. you know yeah. uh, going forward so it's like you're less able to give a, a reward to your son who's looked after, who's looked you. after you so yeah. you're promising this that okay when I'm no longer here I this see. is what you're gonna get also there are religious undertones to this mm. because um, in Hinduism, there is kind of a, a, a religious rite which which sort of dictates that when a parent is dead and their funeral pyre is lit, mm. it is lit by a son, right? Mm. Typically the eldest son, but yes. So there is this whole aspect that this connects to sort of salvation and so on and so forth. So there is a religious undertone to, to this as well. So it's a combination of, you know, preserving family legacy, ensuring that, you know, property, family property stays in the yeah, family yeah. and also connected to sort of religiosity and sort of religious um, uh, uh, implications of, you know, how you should be leading your life and what you should be doing at the point of it. Anyway. Uh, so all of these things sort of come together and I think the key point and in some of my other work mm -hmm. on this uh, topic as well, I think my understanding is that um, because the social structure and the social norms mm -hmm. and the social mm -hmm. institutions mm -hmm. are such that there is uh, an a combined effect towards uh, preferring sons mm. for various kinds mm. of reasons, yeah. changing only one of those dimensions right. mm. in 
the face of sticky social norms on yeah. other dimensions can actually have a perverse effect mm. and this is something what that is that is what we uh, apparently are picking up also what seems to be happening is that we talked about this one dimension mm. of adjustment that parents are making that you know um, post the reform they are less likely to have additional mm. girls at the margin um, if they've already had a girl to start with we also find other dimensions of impact as far as um, other markers of uh, sun preference is concerned so we also find that um, in these families in these uh, mm. families with firstborn girls after the reform um, the girls are also less likely to that they that are born the girls that are born are less likely to survive beyond uh, their first birth first birthday right and these families are also larger so fertility seems to be going up as well in these families so there seems to be more than one mar- uh, dimension of adjustment that parents are making in reaction to this reform so they are um, having more children they are aborting more girl fetuses but if the girl fetus ends up being mm. born they are more likely to be neglected as well mm. right and this seems to be backed up also by sort of reported uh, sun preference in the sense that you know answers to survey question of you know whether you prefer a girl over a boy um, or rather a boy over a girl parents seems to be corroborating this uh, this this sun preference um, uh, results that we are finding by saying they do prefer more bo- uh, having uh, boys more than girls after the so you look at those three different those three different those variables three different, yes. one the the second birth two the uh, infanticide uh, yes. and three the preference three the preference. you know it really strikes me that there's this huge coordination problem like if you want to change social norms yes. you know how, but you can't do everything at once no, it's no. like Jeffrey Sachs big idea of development that you need a big push to get everything yeah, going at yeah, once yeah. how do you overcome that kind of coordination failure I think it's it's very tough and mm. pretty much that is probably <clears throat> um, behind uh, one of the reasons why we are finding it so diff- difficult to shift female yeah. outcomes we seem to be making progress at least on these outcomes that are intimately linked to social norms mm. we seem to be mo- making progress on on certain dimensions but on other dimensions we seem to be sort of mm-hmm. you know almost sort of reversing the progress that we've made um to be honest i to in my mind that i feel that there could be two potential pathways that we could mm-hmm. focus on one would be to actually ensure that uh, um women are uh, getting more and more access to education and that seems to be happening so women's educational outcomes or attainment levels seem to be converging fairly uh, but again that's a really tricky thing because we also know that girls are more likely to focus in school the more likely to attend school and more likely to be supported if they see role models in employment but, yes, but at exactly, the moment exactly. female employment is it's going good, down absolutely. so you don't ha- so if you go if you're living in a village and you only ever see women as wives as mothers Yes, as, yes. As, as helpers or yes, whatever yes. then you don't think okay people will really support me to become a lawyer and mechanic absolutely absolutely and so again that's a really difficult coordination problem absolutely and i think there has to be so i think in terms of the education aspect mm. i think there is there is still some way to go but we've made some progress mm. but now it is about translating mm. those educations in terms of returns in the labor market mm. right and what we seem to be finding is there are all these concerns in terms of various other uh, factors that seem to be constraining um female labor employment particip- uh, sorry female labor market participation also there seems to be evidence to suggest that when those opportunities are available there are still social norms and gender norms and gender constraints that women face in terms of taking up those options mm. and opportunities and running with them mm. right so i actually feel that this speaks to potential policy uh 
you know prerogatives and potential uh, policy initiatives that tries to address and break down some of these barriers that women have in terms of accessing labor market opportunities and sort of you know continuing with so what sort of thing uh, greater female uh, representation in political yeah. uh, in the political sphere so there's been some work that suggests that uh, not surprisingly but it suggests that um, female politicians are significantly more in support of egalitarian gender progressive norms right so for instance in this context ensuring that the legal reform actually uh, happens and is implemented and enforced on the ground and women actually have the kind of support they need to contest if they you know if they feel that's the right way forward that potentially means maybe greater monitoring by local female politicians right greater access to uh, support from them and in some sense that is already uh, been mandated within the within the indian context because you know there are these uh, these reforms which were put in place and laws which have been put in place to ensure that there is uh, about a third yeah uh, representation in in local um uh, sort of you know government bodies for women but oftentimes what happens is that that's only on papers that never translates into oh, really? actual is policy sometimes there is a problem of you know the woman being the face yeah. or you yes, know but, the, yeah, but then the works yeah. and all the all the activities is yeah, essentially yeah. driven by their partner you know their male partners or their you know fathers or whatever so i think there is more um need to focus on actually uh, realizing the 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 fruits of having more women in the political sphere and it's a messy process it's potentially going to you know we're going to go two steps forward and few steps back but wait back i have a question talking about two steps back given that your findings suggest that equal inheritance laws lead parents to greater son preference yeah should we stop the equal inheritance laws if we want to stop girls being killed i mean what the hell do you do i i don't think it makes in my opinion it makes sense to reverse what is it A, a good intention policy but right. what we do need to be cognizant of is that just changing that one aspect mm-hmm. will not necessarily you know okay, here's change a, here's, the Okay, here's a better question then. What other aspects could we change in order to make that law more effective in supporting women's, you know, rights, life, etc.? I mean, I think the point would definitely be as we were discussing before in terms of ensuring that we put in place more and more um pathways and channels to ensure women are uh, available are able to take up gainful employment right essentially we have to think about different aspects of creating greater social value for women mm. right so, so reducing the burden of care work through social infrastructure exactly, for example exactly in some in some sense definitely that also potentially um I don't think I have a very uh, uh, straightforward answer but one of the key reasons why people are arguing that you know female labor force participation mm-hmm. in India has been falling on an mm-hmm. aggregate level over the last few uh, in recent times is partly to do with the caste structure right okay. so the story there is that um, when your back is against the wall and you really are at a subsistence level you don't really care if it's the woman or the man or you just need to make sure that you know income constraints are you know yeah. are are Uh, are relaxed and you basically have enough to eat but as you move forward a little bit and mm. there's a little bit of prosperity around the gender norms come rushing back in right yeah. so j- higher castes typically let's say the ones that would be more um 
uh, more uh, more rich or more prosperous. They are the ones that seem to be putting uh, stronger constraints in yes. terms of female level yeah. participation. So I think there there have been sort of quite a few government initiatives that seems to suggest that uh, under certain circumstances things can work. So for instance there are lots of these sort of you know uh, policy initiatives that incentivize financially incentivize parents to A have children, uh, sorry A have girls, B invest in their education and there are financial rewards you know for parents to continue doing this up until girls are you know, you know so adult. Uh, girls scholarships for example. Exactly for and also sort of you know basically sort of incentivizing to uh, maintain the sort of you know progressive trajectory for girls right up to adulthood and so that seems to suggest that there are uh, there have been some evidence where you know under certain conditions this has led to you know delay slightly delayed uh, age of marriage for girls um, greater educational attainment so I think some of those things, you know, seem to be working. So they in, can reduce the opportunity costs of inequality. Exactly. So by financially rewarding having girls, financially rewarding sending them to school. School and also potentially taking care of, you know, sort of, you know, education costs or sort of, you know, other kinds and of And alleviating costs. the opportunity costs of women going out into the labour force as opposed to staying home. Exactly, yeah. And then I think another besides addressing the opportunity costs is, is also to address exposure and social norms. Like for me, a huge opportunity with Bollywood mm -hmm. would be to highlight more successful women pro mm -hmm. providing for their parents. Mm -hmm. Like if there were TV shows yeah. and films showing parents, uh, showing girls looking after their parents. Yes. Maybe that could. In fact, there has been some evidence. More casual. <laughs> yeah, uh, there has been some evidence uh, to not specifically role model of girls taking care of parents, but role model effect of sort of, you know, looking at more quote unquote sort of liberated lifestyles of yeah. women, right? Mm -hmm. So there's been work uh, that uh, studied the effect of introduction of cable television in India, yeah. where essentially there were some of these, you know, long running shows that were projecting women in a sort of more liberated space. Emily Oster, the power of Exactly, TV, yeah. yeah. So there's been some work on that, whether you know, those can shift attitudes, mm -hmm. and they do find, at least in the time at span. At least to uh, fall in fertility, right? Fall in fertility, definitely certain, at least in the time span mm, that they yeah. study. How much of that retains mm. is the other kind of question, which is the big... But, but one thing I was thinking of, although it seems really kind of strange to me, for the idea of parents to be worried about who gets their property, whether it's their daughter or their son, when they're dead, one thing that I was thinking that we see so often in the UK is people care a lot about inheritance tax. People really care that when they're dead, the government or the general public who they live with should benefit from their property rather than their, their heirs. So we do, you know, even in Britain, we have this idea of we care what happens to our yeah, property when yeah, we're dead. Yeah. And I, I guess it's exactly the same in India. If you think of one group yeah. as entitled, whether it's your children or your son in particular. Yes, and uh, that is definitely there. But on top of that, I think this whole aspect of, you know, the Hindu family, in some yeah. sense, it's almost thought of as, as this kind of an intergenerational entity yeah. and sort of the the the, the, the responsibility mm. and the legacy of yeah. uh, sorry the responsibility of maintaining that legacy and that identity basically passes to male lines right so it's almost like you know there is an intergenerational okay here's another question then yeah. instead of trying to increase women's social value which would ultimately only go to their in-laws is there any way that policy interventions have tried or could disrupt that idea of patrilocal patrilineage I think well I I can't I'm not 
Like, is that something that could that, work? I mean, that could potentially some of it is, if, again, if I think about the, let's say, the rural urban mm. divide, some of this is already happening yeah, yeah, in urban yeah, context, yeah. right? So, in some sense, what we call patrilocality is no longer patrilocality in the true sense of the term yes. in urban uh, mm. centers of India because both partners basically go and set up their own mm. space. They're neither living with the boys' parents mm. nor are they living with the girls' parents, right? So, some of that definitely does translate into sort of, you know, uh, a better outcomes however um, I'm also a little um, uh, how would I say uh, skeptical about this the extent to which or, or rather let me put it this way I think this will take a lot of time yeah. because the other interesting thing with sun preference in India is that even we were talking about education right but even the fact that educated families are uh, showing up in the data as practicing female mm. feticide that is worrying especially because the fact is that with more prosperity greater education fertility overall not in the context mm. of the reform but across the country fertility on average is falling mm. but sun preference is still so strong that you want to have that sun even when your family yeah. size is yeah, going down so you know it has to be it has to work on at some level on the attitudinal change. So I think, you know, um, it has to be a combination of very multiple factors. But coming back, I just want to mention yeah. one small yeah. thing as far as this legal reform is concerned. Uh, one ray of hope, I think, and I've been having a, ch I was having a chat with about this with Bina Garwal herself, is that um, when, when the partners of these girls realize the value, mm. the economic value of this, essentially that will potentially create a, a bigger push for sort of equalization of these rights across the across, across oh, so the women's husbands. The women's husbands realize so that the patriarchy is, will fight will for fight for itself. <laughs> exactly. So the patriarchy will fight for itself and essentially over a I don't know, over some period of time may end up. Oh, but it's, isn't know. it also possible that the husbands would just fight for a bigger dowry knowing that they won't inherit and then that'll cause yes, all it, the sorts of incentives. Not, but at the same time, remember, this is about land and then land also yeah. al always has sort of, you know, longer term Chance, yeah. whereas dowry could be okay. I like the sentence. The patriarchy will fight for equality. <laughs> <laughs> that's one way forward. Thank you very much, Sanchez. Thanks You're a lot. Thanks.